We're going to dive into John chapter 11, which is the story of Lazarus' death and resurrection. And so you can go ahead and open there in your paper or digital Bibles. We'll have the verses on the screen. And I was joking with uh, Alex and Lauren this morning. We're going through 44 verses today. So buckle up. Buckle up. And our one big idea we want to get from these 44 verses is that Jesus feels our pain. Now this is not some politician, I feel your pain. (laughs) Jesus feels your pain. And this isn't a distant, oh, I feel sorry for you. But he identifies with us. He enters into and feels our unique heartaches and struggles. And it can be particularly hard for us to see that, to know it, to believe it when God the Father or Jesus don't cooperate with our plans and work the way that we think that they should, especially when we're falling apart. My life's a mess. Why won't you get on my agenda and fix it? My wife's not working. My, my, my wife. My marriage isn't working. My life's not working. Whatever. It's not working. Why won't you get on my agenda and fix it? I know how it should be fixed. Just come on, fix it. And so when we feel this way, we can end up thinking he doesn't care, and quite frankly, that he isn't involved. You're not doing my agenda, so I'm not, you're not involved. You're not even a part. You don't care. And the truth is, he is always involved. He is always connected with us in our pain. But his ways are not our ways. So this story, it so beautifully offers a picture of how Jesus and the Father work in ways that were not clear to those involved and how those involved responded to him. And I will tell you, you should easily be able to place yourself in this story. This isn't just some nice Bible lesson of some historical event. You should be able to identify with the characters. You should be able to place yourself in this story. And it should register for you. Because if it doesn't, then what's the point? I mean, if we're just studying a historical lesson, what's the point? This has to have practical implication on where we live today. And if it doesn't, it's a waste of time. And so we should be able to relate to the experiences of pain, heartache, and loss. And my prayer is you'll be encouraged by Jesus' unique interaction with each person and how he shares with them in hurt and confusion that they're experiencing And even while he's doing things that don't make sense to them. He's a part of it, and yet he's doing things that don't make sense. And so the story begins, John 11, 1 through 3. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, 
the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Right away we learn that Lazarus is sick, and it must be serious because the, the, the sisters send word to Jesus. Now this is a family that, that loves Jesus. We know they've hosted him in, in, in their home. And we know it because if you remember the story of Martha who's working her tail end off in the kitchen and Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha comes out like any big sister and goes, hey Jesus, seriously, like I could use some help in the kitchen. Would you please get Mary in here? Right? (laughs) And you don't have to be a big sister. I mean, anybody, guys working on a project. Hey, Bob just sitting, like come on, let's go. John also mentions here Mary's extravagant gift of perfume and the wiping of his feet with her hair. First of all, that's just weird. Second of all, it was scandalous. Women didn't let their hair down in public. That was for their husbands alone at home. For her to take her hair down, to do it, and then to wipe his feet with it? That was a big deal. But the family felt comfortable. They had love for Jesus. They felt comfortable to send word to him, knowing that he would want to know. And that it shows some level of relationship that they had with him. So what we also learn here is that Jesus loves them as well. It's mentioned three times in this passage. Verse 3, verse 5, verse 36. And the only other time someone is talked about as loved of Jesus in the, in the Gospel of John is in John 13, 23, where it says the disciple whom Jesus loved. These people get three mentions that Jesus loves them. Now, one of the things that I think is really important, notice that the sisters, the message they send to Jesus is not a request. It's not come heal. It's not come do. It's the one you love is sick. That's it. They simply notify him of the state of things. And they didn't have to keep it short. I mean, we're used to like Twitter and Facebook or whatever. You know, it got a 160 character limit. What can we, you know, they didn't have to do Morris Code or Pony Express. They could have said as much as they wanted. There was no character limit. It seems as though they share it with Jesus and they leave it with him to decide what he wants to do. Now don't hear me. It's not that we shouldn't ever make requests of Jesus. That's completely fine. We can learn something from this though. Sometimes it might be best for us to share with Jesus what's going on and leave it with him to guide and direct what needs to be done. Jesus, here's what's going on. One of my mentors told me forever, here's what's going on. Do you have any thoughts on this? I've heard everybody else's thoughts. I've heard my thoughts ad infinitum. But here's the deal. I'm going to leave it with you. For a long time for me, that was like, I'm dropping it in his inbox and I can't take it back. Like when you send one of those emails that you don't 
No, you shouldn't send in. You're like, it's gone. Oh, no. Retract, retract. That's the same thing here. Jesus, I'm sending it to your inbox. I have no retract. It's on you. What do you want to do about it? Continuing on, John eleven four 4 through 6. But when Jesus heard it, he said, the illness, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, there it is, and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So Jesus' response to this event, to what he hears, is much like his response earlier in John to the blind man who he heals when, it, when the apostles go, or the disciples go, hey, why is he blind? Was it him or his parents who sinned? And Jesus said, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do everything with the fact that it is for my, to bring glory to me and to my Father. And that's what's going on here. The same response here. This is, this is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, I don't know. I read Scripture and some of the times I, I look at this and I go, well, Jesus loved this family, right? And he heard Lazarus was sick. So as soon as he heard that Lazarus was sick, he dropped everything he was doing and he went right to them, correct? No, it says he stayed two more days. What is that? Don't you look at that? I mean, it's very clear. He's sick. Oh yeah, this is not, not a problem. We're going to hang out here for two more days. That, that is not what I would do. And this is the perplexing nature of God. His timing and ways are not our timing and ways. We would immediately run. Go fix that problem. But Jesus doesn't. And please put yourself in this. Can you imagine what the people involved thought? They don't have, they don't, they haven't read the story. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know the outcome yet. It's all they know is Lazarus is dead, and that's, I mean, at some point, that's all they know. He's sick or dead or something. I mean, how do you think this looked to them? How do you think the disciples are like, wait, this is his buddy? Like, why isn't he going? Have you ever asked those questions? Have you ever had those moments? Has God not done or operated the way that you hoped he would? And you were like, where are you? What are you doing right now? Laid in bed, look at the ceiling and said, God, I can't take one more day of this. Two things help us frame stuff with Jesus. One, Jesus didn't do but what he saw and was led to do by his Father. If you go through the book of John, that is a constant refrain from Jesus. I don't go but where my Father tells me to go. I don't do but what my Father tells me to do. I don't go here or there unless he's leading me to go or do. Two, Jesus is pure love. Not tainted with selfishness like we all can have, but he is pure love, and pure love does what is best for others. 
And so that means Jesus' delay was best for his friends and it was best for all of us. Because as soon as we hit those moments where we have the difficulty and the hardship, we call God's character into question. And that's when we need to know his character the most. Starting in 11.7. Then after this, he said to, his, to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. He sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to, to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death but they thought he meant that he was taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let's also go that we may die with him. This is... This is probably the funniest section <laughs> in this part. There's so many good things. I mean, the disciples have to be so confused. They're like, which end is up? Jesus wasn't making sense at all. I mean, he wants to go back to a place where he was almost just killed. They're like, they, they chased you out of town. They ran you out on a rail, and you want to go back? Really? Are you nuts? I just love Jesus' our friend has fallen asleep. Oh, then he'll he'll rest, he'll recover, he'll get over his cold. Maybe he wakes up, has some chicken soup. Right? I mean they're like and finally Jesus is like, no, he's dead. Hello. <laughs> like it's just the whole interchange is hilarious. And then and then on top of that, Thomas. And I love Thomas. I think Thomas gets a bad rap in scripture, but so we're talking about the fact that, that you put it all together. Lazarus has died. They're telling him, you're going to go back. You're probably going to die and get stoned. And Didymus goes, okay, well, I guess we're all going back to die together. Let's go die. If that's what we have to do, we're all going to die. Right? I mean, isn't that how it feels sometimes? Okay, if I have to, I guess I'll go die then. Can you just sense the eye roll? <laughs> so Jesus tries to help them, though, and he tries to help them with this common proverb, this 12 hours in a day thing. It's, it's 12 hours in the day for work. And his point is that there is appropriate timing of things. And there's appropriate timing of the things in the way that God works. And it's not in the way that we expect. And that can be the biggest challenge sometimes. He works in ways that we don't expect. He also lets them know that this situation is for their best because they will believe. So continuing on, John eleven seventeen. 17. Now when Jesus came, 
he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. So most notable here is that Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. This is significant. It means, one, that Jesus' delay was not the cause of Lazarus' death. Because basically wherever Jesus was and wherever the servant had to go or whoever was sent to get Jesus, it probably took them about a day to find him. And then Jesus stayed for two days and then probably took another day to get back. So that's four days. Well, if Lazarus has been dead for four days, he probably died shortly after the message went out. And so this is key because he's been dead for four days, and in Jewish belief, there was a belief that the soul hung around the body for three days hoping to re-enter. And once it started decomposing after that third day, the soul would leave, and many times they would check after three days and go, boo, you awake? Surprise! I was only kidding. I didn't really die. I was, I was mostly dead. <laughs> I'm not dead yet. Sorry, some of you will get that. I, I could go for a walk. So after three days, if the person wasn't living, then they were truly, in fact, the fourth day meant that they were dead, truly dead. So this is the fourth day. Lazarus is not maybe kind of in between. He is dead. Which means that what Jesus is going to do is not resuscitation. He is going to resurrect. Not resuscitate. Resurrect. Bring back from the dead. And so those two days were required. And so his delay does not create the problem. It actually heightens the significance of the miracle he's about to perform. The full, four day, the full four days is going to heighten what he's about to do. It builds anticipation. It brings a reality. This is really a dead man. And so Jesus' delay creates that expectation, creates a, a heightening of the significance of this miracle. And again, I'm going to say it. We must remember that Jesus has been in constant conversation without his father or with his father. And his actions throughout this whole ordeal are out of that conversation. Father, what do I do? Do I hurry up and go back to see Lazarus? Or do I hang out? Son, hang out for two days. I think what we'll do is we'll do this. Oh, that's good, Father. That's good. I'm in. (laughs) Let's do it. John 11, 21 to 27. Martha said to Jesus... Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Can you hear the heart? If you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, you will, he, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
Martha, a little bit of a Thomas here, Martha said, I know, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So something important to understand here, there are, all of us have a soul, all of us have a, a psychological makeup, and there are three key elements in that. I mean, there's a lot more to it than that, but there's some simple elements. Emotions, feelings, thinking, thoughts, mind, and will, decision maker. And what we're going to see with Martha and then later Mary is we're going to see how Jesus, Martha is more of a, an intellectual thinker type. Mary's more of an emoter, an emotional type. And we're going to see how Jesus ministers to both of these women. But what's beautiful about these women is they make a choice of their will despite what's going on. To have faith. Martha says it here. If you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. That is a choice of faith. She knew who he was. She didn't understand why he had to die. But she knew who Jesus was. She wasn't questioning him. And so these women have strong faith in who Jesus is in the midst of their brother's death. And notice notice how Jesus identifies with Martha on an interacting with her intellectually. They they go intellectually back and forth. Also, again, this is a whole other sermon and maybe someday, but it's going to come out a lot in what we talk about. I am the resurrection and the life. Not I have it. I am it. If you want resurrection, if you want life, it comes with a relationship with a person. Jesus is not Kentucky Fried Chicken. He's not pieces and parts. He doesn't dispense out stuff. He gives you himself, and when you take himself, you get all that is in the himself. Resurrection, life, love, care, comfort. You don't separate them. They're together. So that was a mini sermonette within the sermon. John eleven twenty eight. 28. When she had said this, she went to call her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. When Mary heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still in the place where Martha had left him. When the Jews who were there with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise up quickly and go out, they followed her supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, again, the same phraseology, this had to have been on their lips. They had to have been saying if Jesus would have been here, if Jesus would have been here. She says, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would have not died When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? 
They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then the shortest verse in all of Scripture, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Notice how Jesus now, he shares with Martha, but now how he shares with Mary in her emotion and heartache and those with her whom were wailing and crying and beating their chest. Lazarus, he's gone. They didn't wail just like, oh, where's a tear? It was loud. It was obnoxious. It was painful. It was grief. Now, Jesus wasn't just feeling a little trickle down the cheek. He wasn't just feeling an emotion. He wasn't just, you know, oh, I'm, you know, oh, I feel for you. No, his emotion came from the depths of who he was. Moved in spirit and troubled, it said. And to us, we don't understand that. The word moved literally means outraged, moved with anger, like the snort of a horse in battle. In spirit, the deepest part of who he is, what joins him to his father, from that is welling up something. Troubled means disturbed, agitated. So his tears are connected with agitation and anger. He's angry at death. He's angry at the cause of sin and the fall. He's angry at the injustice of it all, the devastation of the people and what they're experiencing. That death seems to be winning the day, defeating these people when he's standing right there. And I think the tears also came because of the weight of the work that he was doing and will do to reverse the damage. None of us have been tempted to the point of sweating blood or carrying that kind of burden. But Jesus knew it all too well. John eleven thirty six to 38. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. There it is. There's the third time. But some of them said, could not he opened, who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Again, deeply moved and before weeping. As before when he was weeping. And I just picture, it's almost like a high, a high noon, high west, uh, 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 old western. Jesus steps to the tomb, angry, agitated. This, is, this cannot go on any longer. And he steps to that tomb, the snort of a horse, ready to charge into battle and fight. Man, Jesus has a tender, compassionate side, but he also has a warring side. And we're made in that image, men. We're made to step 
to the death that's all around us and say no more. Life needs to be here. Life needs to be in my family. Life needs to be in my work. Life needs to be in my church. And you know what's causing that in you? It's not you. It's the spirit welling up inside of you because he doesn't like it either. And so Jesus steps to the tomb and he says, take away the stone. I love Martha. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, by this time it might smell bad. Very practical. Thinking this through, right? Lord, by this time there may be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. He's really dead. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe, you should see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted his eyes up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said, to, I said this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out in a loud, loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who was dead, who had died, came out. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. But Jesus said to him, said to all those around, unbind him and let him go. Unbind him and let him go. And so everything that Jesus does here is not for him. It's for those that are around. He was already in conversation with his father. He already knew the plan. He says it himself. I say this so they, they, they can, here's the, we're going to do a little Wizard of Oz here. We're going to pull back the curtain and let you know what's going on. He speaks it out loud and he prays it out loud for everyone else's benefit. And he addresses his father, not our father. This is important. He wants there to be no mistake that he is the son and has the power. Calling Lazarus out of the tomb. There, there's so many different conversations about the force with which he talked shook Lazarus awake. You know, like, maybe. But I think it was less about a Lazarus and I think it was about everybody around. I mean, Lazarus is the guy coming back from the dead. He probably, I almost wonder if he was, he was kind of settling in in heaven. <laughs> it's like, hey, you got to go back for a little while. Oh, Man, this was so good. Like, really? Wait, yeah, no. Really? I don't want to have to die a second time, because he did. So Jesus did all of this for the benefit of those around, those watching. But Jesus felt these people's pain. He knew this had to be difficult for them and that it didn't make sense. But see, what's important is he didn't rescue them from it. He doesn't always rescue. Sometimes he does an amen for those times, but he didn't rescue them from it. He walked them through it. It's not, lo, though I go around the valley of the shadow of death. 
It's low though I walk through it. You will be with me. I think that was a little bit of old King James. Low, sorry. So he didn't rescue them from it, but he walked them through it. And he did it engaging their wills toward faith throughout. Will you believe? Will you have faith? Belief and faith are are close, but they're not the same. Belief is an intellectual, yes, I will. Faith is, I will, but I'll also fully rest in that. It's like I can tell you all day that that chair will hold my weight. That's believing it. Faith will actually go down and sit and let the chair do it. And these people, although Jesus was first saying believe, he was also asking for faith. Will you fully immerse yourself in this? And so he could, have, he could have not done that. But he walked them through it and he engaged their wills throughout and he also included them in on the miracle. He included them in on the miracle. He could have removed the stone. He could have removed the bandages. He didn't need any help. But this is a beautiful picture of the divine working with mankind. He says, join me in the work. Let's do this together. I'm inviting you. I'm providing all the power, the capability, all the work, but I'm asking you to come be a part. So in closing, I'm not sure what you're going through. But I hope you've seen in this story that Jesus shares with you in your pain and suffering. He shares with you. He feels it intimately with you. It, It hits him at the core. I hope you know that he desires and is ministering to you and caring for you in ways that are unique to you. unique to you. That's important for me because for a long time, the way, I, I'm a little quirky. I think I fit well up here in Eugene and Springfield because of the quirkiness. I'm quirky. And so the way God would meet my needs is weird. And he may meet your needs in normal ways. He may meet your needs in weird ways. And that's just fine. It's Okay. It's okay that it won't always make sense. Embrace that. Own it. Lord, you're good. You're on your throne. You're working. You're in me. You're working in me. You're, you're putting me through this. You're caring for me. I don't understand a lick of it. But you're working. I choose to believe that, although I don't understand it. He may not rescue you from what you're going through. But he does love you. He does love you. And any voice that says otherwise is lying. He loves you, loves you, loves you. And he's doing what is best for you. Hey, any of you where kids get a spanking? I didn't like it. It It's good for me though. I needed it. I didn't need a lot of them, but I needed them when I got them. 
So he loves you. He's doing what's best for you as he's walking you through whatever you're going through. And the best thing that you can do is to keep sharing your heartache with him. Keep trusting him that he can and is working miracles on your behalf in the midst of whatever you're going through. But keep sharing. If you learn anything from David in the Psalms, he dumps, dumps, dumps. Because if we hold on, hold on, hold on, we don't have, if we're holding, we don't have any hands open to receive. But if we give it to Jesus, now we go, okay, here, I'm ready to receive. It's a great exchange. He is the God of exchange. Give him the junk so that he can give you something different. But the worst thing you can do is to stop dumping and just let it pile up inside of you. Dump it on the one who can shoulder it. And then let him minister to you and do miracles on your behalf in the midst of the things that you're facing. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, thank you for this willingness of you to walk this journey with your Father and for it to be done in such a way that it can be so translatable to our experience that you so caringly and lovingly minister to Martha. You so caringly and lovingly minister to Mary and you did it in unique ways. And Father, I don't know what each and every individual is going through here. But I just pray that they would just dump on you. Let you take it. That they may be crying out to you, you could have done something about this. This doesn't make sense. I'm confused. That they would dump so that they could receive your love, your care, your mercy, and your power to walk through. We trust this in your powerful name. Amen.